Welcome to Support After Abortions podcast. My name is Nathan Masirian, and I'll be hosting a dedicated series called Men Healing from Trauma. In our culture, men are not validated who've experienced trauma through miscarriage, pregnancy loss, or even abortion. Through this series, you'll hear firsthand experiences. You'll also hear from clergy, clinicians, and experts in the field of healing to provide practical ways that both men and women can heal from the impact of abortion. Thank you for joining us. This is Support After Abortion, Helping Men Heal from Trauma podcast. This series is designed to help men who've experienced trauma walk through the steps of healing. Today, we have a really special guest. I'm so glad to have Janine Marone with us. She's also the board chair of Support After Abortion. This podcast is the first of two series that we're gonna be focusing on a topic referred to as consumer research. But there is so much to unpack. We're gonna take today's episode to really discuss the landscape and history of consumer research and, and some of the very unique insights that have informed us to help us apply healing to men. So without further ado, Janine, welcome to our episode. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Nathan. I'm happy to be here, especially talking about this important subject. Janine has a deep expertise and passion for consumer research. So I want to start today's conversation with before support after abortion existed as a 501c3, you had an opportunity to look at the landscape in Southwest Florida as it relates to healing. But what did you see back in the day when you were evaluating the, the scope of healing programs in our area? Well, prior to having support after abortion, as you know it today, we knew that we had a number of healing programs in Southwest Florida, and we thought we had an awful lot of people who were looking for healing, but they didn't know where to go. Hmm. So we thought we could create some kind of central intake for the programs that we had for the purpose of being more efficient and effective in healing people in Southwest Florida, as though people who are resident in a geography are going to go to a healing program that is resident in their area. So um, several years before support after abortion took place, uh, you began to just personally observe what programs were available. I think you, you said there were some programs at churches. Where, are there, where else did you see programs that were around the area? It appeared that the pregnancy centers all had something on their shelf, as I like to call it. Hmm. And we know that some churches had programs, but that was it. That's all I really knew about at the time. So you saw a limited scope, but you had an, uh, an understanding or, or an impression that if we could centralize the intake process, you might gain more awareness. And there were some things that started to surprise you during that intake process. Well, what did you observe? Well, absolutely. Well, when we began this process, we actually dedicated a resource, and that's Karen Barbito, who many of you know, who is still at Support After Abortion. And what she did was she did, did something I would call, whether she knew it or not, a discovery phase, hmm. where she went out and she looked at the current situation of what were those programs and studies that were out there that were available for healing. So things from Bible studies to retreats and actually workbooks. And she just put herself into that situation to study all of those things that were available to her. And in doing so, whether we knew it or not, or she knew it or not, 
she got a reputation for being a person who could provide some level of healing, an option space. So whatever you needed, all you needed to do was go to Karen and quickly and amazingly, she was attracting people, not only from Southwest Florida, but more and more so from other places in Florida, the country, and then even internationally. Mm-hmm. One of her first clients came from Africa because the person heard that she was in the healing business. That, that is so good. We're going to take just a brief pause to review our technology. So just following the, the trajectory of, of the central intake process, um, Karen Barbito, who's still with support after abortion, started to see lots and lots of people who were looking for healing, particularly after um, being impacted by abortion. But you saw something pretty amazing with the results. So take us back. What did you see that really got your attention? Well, that Karen was attracting notoriety from not only Southwest Florida, but from the rest of the United States and from places as far away as Africa. And it became very apparent to me that this, the demand for, for healing was beyond our just local scope. Hmm. So you saw a huge scope. Um, one of the things that you've talked about is there was a need to, to take a consumer research approach, yet you were surrounded with lots of opinions. So speak to what you were hearing as it relates to healing and why you chose to take consumer research to understand quantitatively the need for healing? Well, what I became very aware of is that we had these programs, but not necessarily at a lot of demand for them. So it was clear that it was either a marketing problem as it related to current programs of healing, or it was a product problem where maybe the programs that we had were not appealing to the people that needed them. And that's when I went to my consumer industry background and said, we really need to assess this in a quantitative way, or else you're really subject to the opinions of those that may be the owners of those programs Mm. or others that have experienced healing from a particular program and think that that's the only game in town. Mm. So it's very important for anybody in any industry that's looking, especially in a new product, that's looking to appeal to people to really size it understand what who your market is what they look like and how you can modify both your product and your marketing around the demand as it is determined from a statistical basis oh, i love that give us a, a 101 primer on what is consumer research and you can may give us an example like speaking about how we uh, use the us demographics as a as a model well, if you don't, then your, your opinions are going to be regionally biased, perhaps educationally biased, biased by age or even gender. Lots of things can bias your, your idea of what healing should be. So what quantitative research of this kind is, is it imitates the market that, you are, that you're interested in. And in our case, we said, okay, let's look at the United States. So what market research companies will do or consumer market research companies will do is they will look at the United States demographically. So it, so the sample represents the way America looks, mm. you know, the percentage that are of a certain race or religion or, or age or geography, all of those things fall into the complexion, if you will, of what America looks like. So we wanted to pull a sample that looked like America and then ask a series of questions based on that sample size. I love that. Um, For our our viewers, just to give us uh, 
uh, an analogy of how that works, uh, consumer companies that we're all familiar with uh, use and deploy consumer research to make informed decisions. And uh, as this podcast is for men, we can generally assume eating burgers is a pretty popular pastime for most guys, including myself, which I had wonderful burger last night. But our industry, we're seeing a rise in plant-based burgers. So just speak to how consumer research is used practically, and then we're going to tie this back to support after abortion. Well, I, I thought about a plant-based burger. I, I couldn't help but think of the impossible burger as it related to, to Burger King and just kind of thought about what process they probably went through to come up with that. But one of the things in all likelihood that they did is they did a survey of America to say, what is the demand for a plant-based burger? Is there an age demographic that is more inclined to want it? Is it gender-based? Is it taste-based? Is it location-based? And all of those things go into understanding what is the viability? What's the, what's the usage of doing something like a plant-based burger? I am absolutely sure that even what they called it came from some kind of research. Come to find out, they ended up test marketing in like 49 locations outside of St. Louis and then rolled it out from there. That is a typical methodology for anybody who is applying something or selling something or providing something to a market for the purposes of making it the best that they can be for that particular market or for their particular product or service. That's a wonderful explanation. I just want to emphasize the reason a company like uh, Burger King, for example, who uh, we'd love to have their sponsorship, uh, uh, does that is they're trying to create a solution that's national in nature. And that's really the bridge, I would say, for support after abortion that you um, took the opportunity to conduct a series of research studies that we learn from each time so that support after abortion could nationally, even internationally, provide a scalable healing model. So with that as context, why don't you walk us through the four research studies? And, and we know for our audience and what I've also learned from Janine, each time you do a study, we learn and refine. So let's start with the very first study, what it was focused on, Janine, and so back in 2019, our first study was really focused on women, thinking that women were the biggest market because abortions are performed on women. So our first study was, on a, was a national survey on women over the age of 18, where we asked a series of questions using the term reproductive loss, thinking that if we cast a wide net, we would attract people who had also had abortions as part of their pregnancy or reproductive loss. And so that was survey number one. So reproductive loss includes what other type of loss? Miscarriage, stillbirth, even placement for adoption. Wow. So that was a very insightful study. Today's episode is not to go into the details, but it led you to take a second study. So if you can consider this an iterative approach to getting what you were really looking for. So the first study really garnered a great degree, degree of information on miscarriage, but not enough on abortion. And I'm not to say that miscarriage as a pregnancy loss is traumatic to those that have had it and does need a grieving process. And we found a lot of similarities. So I don't want to disregard how important that was, but we were looking for abortion. Mm -hmm. So the second study was focusing on not so much reproductive losses related to any other loss, but abortion, so that we could get a larger sampling of women who had, who had suffered through abortion. And as it turned out, <clears throat> We ended up talking to roughly 200 women who had 
had an abortion themselves. And that became the first baseline for understanding abortion as it related to women over the age of 18 who reside in the United States. I'm going to take a moment to just set some context for each of these studies that we're describing and the ones that are going to be talked about shortly. They're done in a very formal and anonymous way. This is not sitting around uh, like in a basement of a church or in a living room or casually at a coffee shop. These are anonymous-based surveys. They can be do done both on the phone or through filling out an internet form. One of the things that I, I've learned a great deal from Janine about is there's opportunities to also capture the verbatims, the real quotes. And in a future episode, we'll be sharing some of those. So let's segue into the next two studies that follow somewhat of a similar pattern. Uh, the third one is started to focus on men this year. So we use the same basic instrument, as they call it. So the same type of, of questions we use for the men that we use for women. And we found out much of the same thing that many men and most men, at least in the study, were more likely to be wanted, wanting to talk about the pregnancy loss of miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So that was our third study. And it was very much like the first study with women, but we represented men across the United States to determine their experience or who they were as it related to abortion or, or reproductive loss. Mm -hmm. And much like the women's study, we didn't get enough of the men who have had abortion. So we went into a fourth study. So a fourth study, still using the same consumer research methodology, where anonymously through either a phone call or most likely internet-based survey, um, men who had firsthand uh, been impacted by abortion completed that study. Now, um, in our upcoming episodes, we're going to dive into the details of that study, but we'd like to leave you with the new landscape. So we started this broadcast with before support after abortion started, there was a Southwest Florida need, but after this fourth consumer research study, you've walked away with a, a broader, even maybe more exciting sense of the landscape as it relates to healing. Share with us some of the exciting things that you're seeing. So I want to really underscore, underline, when we went into the study, we didn't know who had abortion or who had miscarriage. It was just pulling a representative look at the demographics of America, both women and then of men. When we didn't get enough of those that have had abortion, we went to, we just screened out those that said that their reproductive loss was abortion. And we ended up talking to 100 or talking, contacting, touching 100 men who had experienced abortion. What we found from that was remarkable. And I must also add that by the time we got to the fourth study, we said, we have a couple of other questions that we didn't ask in the prior three that would be of interest to us. And that was probably the most remarkable piece of it. And we will be talking about that later on, but I will leave you with this groundbreaking moment, if you wanna call it that, that our culture tells us that men don't care about abortion. They're not impacted by abortion. They encourage abortion. And our study shows that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Men are very interested, or I'm sorry, men are adversely affected by abortion. Men are interested in gaining healing from abortion. And men are not necessarily encouraging abortion to the rate 
that our culture would lead us to believe. Mm. And you'll be hearing more about that in our next episode mm. on this topic. Mm. Thank you so much, Jean, for giving us that background. And I also want to just add, as part of the reason for doing this series is informed through our research, which is men are looking for healing resources. And that's part of the vision that Janine has as board chair for us as support after abortion is to be a vehicle, uh, an avenue to provide healing for men who've been impacted by abortion and in a more broader sense, impacted by trauma. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode. If you've been impacted by today's conversation and want to reach out to us confidentially, please visit us at supportafterabortion.com. You can call us. You can also fill out the online form. And we encourage you to join us on our next episode. Thank you for participating in today's broadcast. If you or someone you know has been impacted by abortion, we are here to help and you are not alone. Our trained staff will meet you with compassion and confidentiality simply by visiting us at supportafterabortion.com. There you'll find a confidential phone number and contact us in which our staff are standing by ready to help you and be of assistance.